Do you want a glass of water or anything? No, I'm grand. You sure? Yeah, fine, thanks. Hey guys, how's it going? You're very welcome to episode 8 of Sweet Velvet Life. Myself and Fiona are back. We're over the old scared thing, aren't we? We're over the scares. Yeah, thank God Halloween's over for another year. (laughs) And as we said, it's it's Sweet Velvet Life, episode 8. Of course, if you want to get in touch with the podcast, you can at sweetvelvetlife at gmail.com. We're also on social media. On Twitter, it's at life underscore velvet. And on Facebook, it's at Sweet Velvet Life. And as always, thanks a mil to the guys from the Republic of Luce for uh, allowing us to use their fantastic tunage uh, and in, for our intro. And as we always say, we will get you in yet. Absolutely. We will. We'll get them. Which brings me to our guest today. Yes. A living legend, a sound legend, as a you like to... Uh, legend. As you have referred to him, Fiona. Uh, he is the lead singer and percussionist of this band. He's also involved heavily in media, writes for multiple magazines and papers and runs his own podcasts. But the thing that impresses me the most about this man, he's the Irish Conquer champion. Something I'd always dreamed of when I had Conquer season in school. We're delighted to welcome from King Kong Company into the studio, Mark Graham. Mark, how are you doing, sir? What's too bad. How are you? Yeah, Very I'm Grant. I'm, I'm a little bit... Uh, little bit road weary but I'm alright yeah, yeah surviving. You've, you've just literally you've played the Opera House for the Jazz Festival yeah and you were in Dolan's in Limerick on Friday night yeah and you're hectic and you're a full time lecturer as well so it's go 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 it is yeah but I wouldn't have it any other way it's, it's nice to be busy isn't it yeah I can't I, I do like to lie on the couch at home in front of the fire but uh, then I start to get itchy feet and I want to do something so it's nice to be I like being out on the road truth yeah. be told yeah around Ireland is nice so tell me let's go way back when to the beginning King Kong Company. Now, it had formed before you'd got involved, hadn't it? Yeah. Um, King Kong Company, the band and the name, the entity that we have now is very different from the band that formed when the lads were in college back in the, the late 90s. Um, so four of the lads, and they came from different places to study in WIT in Waterford. So Colin, uh, Wes Mead, Mark White from Dublin, uh, Ailey's from Kilkenny, Tom Stapleton from Tipperary. And two of them were studying music and two of them studying art in WIT, design. And they met up and formed a band. And they had another band before that called Ram. And then this band kind of went into King Kong Company and then yeah. they stopped um, for 10 years. And just before they stopped, I moved back to Waterford. I'd been away. Okay. And the drummer they had, I replaced that drummer. So, so you got involved with them around 98, was it? Oh, I'd say later. I think it was 99. Could have okay. been 99. And I just did it. I didn't do many gigs. Just did a few gigs. And that was kind of... That was the, the tail end of it. Okay. Um, the biggest gig we would have done at that stage, um, and we were young fellas at that time, was Homelands, which was the yeah. first dance music festival in I Ireland. I remember that, yeah. Yeah, so we played at that. Um, Cork Band Bass Odyssey, I think, were on the bill for that as well. And we played the main stage, but we were the first band on the main stage. And I think we were on at like noon or something. <laughs> but for us, that was brilliant because yeah. it was Underworld. Wow. Um, Orbital and Liam Howlett was on that stage as well so wow. you can kind of trace some of the influences of what we did yeah. on that and we had an outrageously good day it was it was a stupidly good day um, we sat down it was our first experience of ever being backstage at something like that and we were in this uh, you know the green room VIP bar and these people came up and uh, they said do you mind if we sit down at your table and we went no no far away and it was The Edge and Howard Marks no way sat down at the table and yeah and it was really nice because Tom our keyboard player got very friendly with The Edge was chatting away to him and we went out 
to meet our friends who were there. And they were, as Howard Marks and The Edge were leaving, uh, The Edge tapped Tom on the shoulder and he was with all our mates from Waterford. And Tom turned around and The Edge said, Tom, I'm off now, I'll see you later. <laughs> and Tom just went, yeah, yeah, see you, Edge, all the best. It's cool as a breeze. And all that's going, what the hell just happened there? So, it was, yeah, it was good fun. We, uh, we made the most of it. But stop then because life, um, Colin emigrated to Australia People got married, people got jobs, you know, that's that's what happened then. So stopped for uh, 10 years at least. But before. I presume but I presume before joining King Kong Company, you were always into music. You probably ah, yeah. obviously played in bands. What, yeah, what's yeah. your kind of musical history? Um, I think my biggest musical influence is The Muppet Show. That's, that's what I, I just loved, The Muppet Show and the music on The Muppet Show. I have all the albums, The Muppet Show vinyl albums. I even have one they did with John Denver. No um, I love The Muppet Show because yeah. the music was fantastic. Okay. You know, and there's a band that, you know, you had Floyd, Dr. Teeth, and Floyd, you know, the name is coming from Pink Floyd. Yeah. Dr. Teeth is based on Dr. John, you know, and there's Pink Floyd, Frank Zappa influences there, Keith Moon influences, and probably Ginger Baker influences on the drums there as well. So With Animal. It, with Animal. And it's all mixed there with puppets. I loved it. And I still do. You know, still to this day. And was that what kind of got the bug for you with music? Uh, well, a very musical family as well. My father... When, you know, before I was born, would have been involved with Tops of the Town. I know some people oh, yeah, probably aren't that, familiar yeah. with that, but yeah, it's from that. way back where they used to have kind of an All-Ireland competition where yeah. there would be variety shows and it was tele- the final was televised. So my father was deeply involved with that and directed and produced one of the shows from Waterford that won the final. So that was a big deal. Uh, and my sister is involved with musicals, but I kind of went the other way. I would have been brought to those things as a kid. And I think I kind of kicked against it. But what's interesting now is my father played in show bands as well before that. Okay. You know, the realisation that you might be playing dance music and you might be playing at Electric Picnic, but basically we're a show band. Yeah. You know, just a kind of a, a modern incarnation of what a show band was. Put on a show, play music, put on a show and try to give people a really good time. I, I think that's the thing that I appreciate most about your gigs. You pull all the stops out. You've got dancers on the stage. You're playing all the different. Yeah. Like Dolan's the other night, you had a telephone that was hooked up to some sort of a voice changer as well. Mm. It was just like everything is just. And it's a bit gimmicky. Like, you know, yeah. I, I, like pick a band that I, I really like, a band that I'd love to go and see would be somebody like Villagers, for example, where it's purely musical, you know, and that's a beautiful to listen to and a beautiful mm. thing. That's not what we do. Mm. And probably. It was something we were conscious of that um, the analogy, I'll draw a hurling analogy here, right? That the Waterford hurlers a few years ago, got, they, they, you know, they got a lot of criticism for the style of hurling they played, but they played to their strengths. And Derek McGrath, their manager, said, you know, if you play this way, you'll get results. And they got to an All-Ireland final, you know, but they played to their strengths. It wasn't beautiful to watch. And maybe that's kind of what we do in a way as well, that we know what we're capable of and we know our limitations, but we know what we can do well as well. So we try, given the pool of resources that we have, to put on the best show that we can do. And Does that why, come at age, do you think? I No, because no. we've... Were you always that yeah, way? Yeah, I think we were always that way. I think what it comes with is us being music fans and fans of festivals and kind of saying, well, what would we like? Mm-hmm. And, you know, doing stuff that we're kind of entertained by a bit as well and that we find enjoyable. I think that's what it is. You know, we, we go to a lot of gigs and when we're... You know, if we're playing at Body and Soul, we're there for the weekend. Or if we're at Electric Picnic, we're there for the weekend. Mm. And part of the really nice thing about the tour that we're doing at the moment is the bands that we go to see at these festivals that make an impression on us. I really like them. 
and um, we get them to play with us. So we have, I think, 12 gigs on this tour in Ireland and the UK, and we have a different Irish band on every gig. So okay. at the Cork gig, we had a band called The Scratch, and they were brilliant. They were absolutely fantastic, you know. And next week in Galway, we have a guy called the Curly Organ, who's just uh, he's a unique uh, performer and Galway Street Club I don't know how they're going to fit on the stage in the Roisin but they are and it's you know I think that's what feeds that is our our love of festivals music and gigs you know mm. and saying well what can we do what is, it, what is it that we can do to put on the best possible show that we can mm. and that's that's what we try to do So you, you know? joined them in 99 and then they the band finished up because everybody finished college, right? Yeah, yeah, they all finished college. So what did you do in the intervening years before oh, the Reformation? Um, I've been playing in bands since I was, I suppose, about 13 or 14, 14 probably. So I, just, I was, um, I suppose, the band that got most track. I was playing in trad bands. Um, okay. I sang and played trombone with a ska band. That band got a, we toured a lot. We would have played a good few gigs in Cork. Um, and Dublin and yeah, we travelled the whole country with that with that ska band and that was great fun and even that there's an influence of that ska and kind of reggae thing in the King Kong Company thing as well that mm. old old school Jamaican ska is something that really appeals to me and still does you know I love that so uh, playing in bands and working um, you know I, I went to college in Galway and studied computer science and mm. came out of that and got a job and kind of I suppose landed on my feet to an extent where I found work and I found a job where I only had to work three days a week and it afforded me the opportunity then to play okay. for the rest of the weekend. But and what uh, was that job? I was uh, well, system control and data analysis technical engineer. Well, so that sounds fancy. It as does, does it? It's not really. If, like, if you had, if you had a, if you had a furnace, um, you, the furnace needs to know when to switch on, how long to stay on for, what temperatures. We'd program it mm-hmm. and we'd wire it. That's the kind of stuff we did. So we got a lot of work. Um, Again, around the country, but I would have done contract work in the glass factory in Waterford when, okay. when that was on the go as well. And did you end up working then in WIT as a lecturer, isn't it? Yeah, because I got redundancy from that job and I was always playing music and I started to get work uh, doing some sound design for There's a street theatre company in Waterford called Spree. And yeah, I've heard of them. Sinead Dunphy, actually, is a girl up here that I know very well. Exactly, and she would have Sinead. Done I know Sinead really yeah, well, actually. Yeah. I met her at the jazz festival. She oh, was at right. the gig. She was in the opera, so I was chatting to her. Um, yes, Spree started drumming with them when I moved home and two of the other lads, Ailey and Mark, that's how I met them was through Spree and got involved with that and they put on bigger shows. One of them was actually, it was a 2005 Cork was the City of Culture. Yeah, I think so. So yeah. Spree put yeah. on a big show along the River Lee there and I composed and recorded the music for that. So the soundtrack for that, um, I put that together and started to realise that I could combine technology and music you know that it was there was a lot of stuff happening that you know there was huge advances advances being made in stuff like Reason would have been one of the, the what yeah. they call a digital audio workstation at the time so using computers to produce music and using electronic tools to create music um, it was a real period of growth in and around that time and, and I, that- I, I realised you could put them together mm. so when I got redundancy for that job I said fairly handy with computers and I'm handy enough with music I can put them both together and I went to Dublin and I did a master's in music technology in Trinity for two years so I moved yeah. up to Dublin for a couple of years and did that master's and it was a great thing you know, and part of that music. master's wasn't it you put out a surround sound digital thing on the RT digital system yeah it was it was in around that time kind of ill-fated system you probably know this from working radio called DAB yeah. that yes. everybody thought was going to take off but never did take off by really. 2012 would you believe it had been hoped 
that FM would be gone in Ireland by yeah. 2012 and that DAB would have taken over. And I remember being in they college. They were gearing up for it. Yeah, yeah, and I remember being in college and they were talking about it. And I remember turning and saying, because at the time my father was in his late 60s going into his 70s. And I was like, there is no way in hell my father is getting rid of his FM radio. No. And it, I mean, it was doing well in England. It just never took off here. Yeah, and that that was part of my studies. So I was composing, like I, it was the first time I ever created music in surround sound mm. and having spent, you know, most of my life in front of two speakers or with headphones, having speakers all around you and being able to move the sound around you, ah, sure, you know, you'd never go back. It's like, it, I, it was like looking at life in black and white for, and then seeing colour for the first time, you know, just open up a whole new world of musical possibilities in terms of producing music, recording music and listening to music. So I copped that nobody had created content for the DAB network in surround sound in Ireland. So I did that. And that was that was part of my master. So it was the, I was the first person to do that. But part of the realisation of that was that, you know, the radio stations can't keep, and especially at that time, they couldn't keep up with the advances in technology. So DAB was the latest mm-hmm. advance in technology. But by the time the radio stations got around to changing and adopting, they'd moved on. You know, mm-hmm. like, And here we are now with podcasts and streaming you know, and digital radio services, so it's it's very hard to keep up with. But what, it's very what, interesting. What's your thoughts on DAB now? I mean, although no, it's, it's done, it's dead. Yeah, it's gone. gone. It's no, never it's gone. gone to. I mean, internet radio, and it, I I bought one from my mum. You know, and I, I see him when you have an internet radio and you have Wi-Fi in the house, like you can listen to any radio station in the world and mm. listen to it in good quality. Mm. So DAB is done. You know mm. that it's it's online, and that's and, and that's what that's what kind of blew it out of the water, and that's why it hasn't taken off. I know. There's still services available. You probably had it in Cork. I know the service was available mm. in Dublin. We didn't have it in Waterford. So, mm. you know, but who uses it? Do you use DAB? No. I and, actually, and I have an internet radio at home and I actually checked it out. And the only radio stations in Ireland are all the RT ones. On DAB. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's it. Yeah. And there's actually Stefan Kloster Stefan on the Tremor Road here. Um, they had one and it's gone, yeah. Only since the summertime. Yeah. They were broadcasting on DAB, the students, right up until the summer and the licence... They couldn't get it reissued. Yeah, that's done. Yeah, it's gone. Yeah, yeah, seems to have been gone. And uh, what crazy. a waste of money for RTE and other radio stations around the world. You know, who mm. tried to keep up with that and invested in all this equipment, and then yeah, done. Because it had kind of taken off in England. Yeah, yeah, but I don't think anymore. When you look like a radio station, I listen to a lot. BBC Radio Six is mm. online only. Okay, you know, and that that's flying. You know, really, really flowing. But your RT Gold, it's the same. Yeah. I mean, you've all these fantastic, huge jocks who we would have known from 2FM. Yeah. You know, Rick O'Shea's and all these guys, and they're rocking away in RT Gold. The only thing is, I'm not sure if they can tell listenership figures they can do that side of the business side of things from it. I'm not sure. You can, yeah. You, you can, can yeah. You can. You can see who's listening, who's streaming at that okay. time. Yeah, you okay. can. Yeah. Okay. So you finished that um, in Trinity in around 2008. Is that right? That's exactly right, yeah. So did you move back to Waterford then and become lecturing? Is that when you started yeah, lecturing in Yeah, I finished up in May 2008 and luckily, thankfully, uh, got a job that October. So I, I was panicking a bit. I was, I was out of work. And I'd spent all that redundancy money uh, doing that course. I go, what the hell am I going to do now? And uh, thankfully, a job opportunity came up in Waterford to teach on the BA music course and to teach music technology. Okay. That's what I'm doing. I'm teaching music students music technology. Programs. So then, the I suppose, the phoenix rising from the flames. Yeah. <laughs> King Kong Company, around yeah. 2011, it was decided to let's, 
let's do something again. How did that resurface? How did that idea come to fruition? There was um, a mate of ours, uh, John Loftus. And Lofty, Lofty wanted to make a kind of a video or a documentary. He's a filmmaker and a media specialist. And he wanted to make a documentary featuring King Kong Company and maybe using some music. And then when that happened, um, somebody had the bright idea that maybe we could do a track every month for 12 months and release a video with it online and then do one gig when that was done. So the idea was to create this music, create the videos to go with the music, then do one gig and that would be the end of it. And some of that would form the body of this film that uh, that Lofty was making. And um, so the tracks were done. Um, I didn't take a huge part in some of them because around this time as well, I was travelling to festivals and writing about festivals for the Irish Times. So which gone. we'll get to in the minute because yeah, that's really, that's a part. For which you won intrigues. an award. Uh, yeah, I did, yeah. Funny enough, <laughs> a couple of them. Uh, so like, people gave me money and awards to go to festivals, which was brilliant. That was one of the best ideas I ever had. Three, <laughs> festi- was it three festivals for a week for a year. Yeah. Yeah, how did you manage it, and how did you even? Find, I suppose there's lots of festivals. It here nearely killed me. Yeah, swear to God, it, yeah. No, I was in ribbons, and there was some. Week, no, seriously, I can imagine. I mean, there was some fest. There were some weekends I was going to festivals, and I said, "Right, I'm not drinking this weekend. I'm going to get to the three festivals, and I'm going to be healthy, and I'm going, you know." And nah, there were some of them you've just no business being at them if you're not having a few points, you know. So it, it was brilliant fun. And probably one of the best things I ever did in my life. Like close to 200 festivals in a year, so. Yeah. Oh, I can't remember the exact number, but um, yeah, the, the amount of festivals. And I, I kept going then for three years because <laughs> it was so much fun and it gathered so much momentum. But that I I ducked in and out of some of those tracks, but we got ready for that last gig um, with King Kong Company around yeah. that time. And it was in the Forum in Waterford and it sold out pretty quick. And I think it was, you know, the the analogy that I use, it's kind of like, you know, giving a reformed alcoholic a sherry trifle at Christmas, you know, and they kind of go, hmm, I like the taste of that. Do you have another one of those? And you get another sherry trifle in a bigger bowl and then you get a glass of sherry and then it's a glass of wine. So kind of like that, we kind of, we took to it again like ducks to water. And mm-hmm. after we did that one gig, we said, will we do another one gig? And I was like, oh, yeah, okay, we will. And we've been doing another one gig for the past seven years, you know, and that's that's what's been happening, you know. Wow, wow. Yeah. And I mean, uh, that like you've also, uh, I mean, for starting out, I suppose, in such humble beginnings and even when you got back together and this idea, you've gone on to play Glastonbury mm. and all the major festivals. I've always, I've never met somebody who's played in Glastonbury, right? Yeah. And I've always wanted to go there because once Glastonbury comes on, BBC Three is on in my house for that weekend. What was it like to play Glastonbury? Do you know what the weird thing is? Like, I, I would have gone to Glastonbury a good few times uh, <laughs> As in my twenties, and it was like for me, it was like a pilgrimage because I love music. And I remember being there in two thousand when David Bowie played the Pyramid Stage, and that was one of the best gigs I was ever at in my life. He wow. played, you know, he played all of uh, Ziggy Stardust. That was the gig, you know, played the whole thing, and you know, you'd be moved to tears. And that that that's just one of the gigs. The experiences and the gigs I saw at Glastonbury over the years, and sneaking in, jumping over the fences, going in through tunnels. I love Glastonbury. Glaston Glastonbury to me is like. Probably some people going to Lourdes or some other people have different persuasion yeah, yeah. going to Mecca. You know, Glastonbury to me was the height of it. You know, and I all and I, for somebody who I went, yeah, yeah, and stress who's in in our band as well, our lighting engineer. I I would have when we were younger before King Kong Company myself and stress would have been there together. Yeah, you know. So there we were then. Um, how did you get the call? I mean, how, did you apply for it or did they come looking for you? How how because I remember when I managed bands, I remember trying to submit. Yeah, it's not easy. It's, it's yeah, it's. 
I th- it's who you know. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, our, our, we have a booking agent now in Ireland and our booking agent brought us to, uh, we played at a, it was a showcase gig at a thing called Eurosonic in Holland. And there was an agent who came to see us at that and he got us the gig at Glastonbury. And he, like, he works for a crowd called International Talent Bureau and he's Biffy Clyro's agent. So, okay. You know. And he's well got. He's well got, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and he got us into Glastonbury. And the weird thing was, I... I think I was so excited about it and it meant so much that I was kind of numb at the time Yeah, that I didn't really fully appreciate what it was because we, like, after all the year, I remember there was one year at Glastonbury, I think we were queuing to get in in the car, in the van, at the camper van, drove the camper over. I think we were 14 hours getting into Glastonbury and that was on the Thursday because the traffic was just nuts. So mm. people ended up sleeping in their cars that night. So we landed at Bristol Airport and got picked up in a bus and got driven into Glastonbury. No and 14 hours there, No maybe. 14 hours wait, <laughs> you know, and cans and this massive stage uh, in the Silver Haze Arena. And yeah, it was it was surreal. I, and I think, didn't really appreciate it at the time, but thankfully one of the lads was filming it. And the way it happened was we played Body and Soul the night before. So I think we played Body and Soul on the Saturday night in the Electric Arena. And we were the last band on there. So I don't know what time. We finished about one or half one in the morning. And then left there, no sleep, straight to the airport, onto the plane, straight to Glastonbury. There's a documentary made about this, isn't they, it? Yeah, it's up on YouTube. So we got no sleep either. And, you know, we were having a few cans and stuff, and, you know, along the way and whatever, you know, whatever you do when you're going to festivals like that. So it was actually that video that when I watched that, I went, fucking hell, we did that, like, you know. And it was then, it was only then that it kind of sunk in, you know. What year was Which that? Which is now? weird. That was two years ago. Okay. So, and it's looking like we're going back to Glastonbury this year. And I think I'm kind of glad about that because I think maybe this time I'll kind of stop and go, all right, now try and take this in this time, will you? Yeah. Because I think, you know, we're so, we're so busy and because it was, for me and for the rest of the lads as well, it was such a big deal, you know. That that's, yeah. that's kind of the pinnacle of it. But, interestingly, there's a festival that we've played at twice now called Boomtown. Yeah. And that's in the Pretty. UK as well. That looks like a dinger of a it's festival. It's better than Glastonbury. Is it? Yeah, and I'd put my hand on my heart and I'd say that, that that it's it's just a different level. It's a different thing. It's it's like a it's like you walk into a different world and there's they have two thousand actors working at it and they populate this world and it's a built thing, it's a city. Mm. And you're in the city and it's it's hard to describe, you just have to go to it. It's it's an immersive thing. It's not just the bands and the festival. It's the, the whole vibe. thing. It's mm. it's an amazing thing. Yeah, and that that like we were at we played that two years ago. We played it this year as well. And we keep finding new places and new things at it. And it just blows your mind, you know. And what's your thoughts of the Irish music industry at the minute? I think it's, I mean, it sounds like a cliche, but it's amazingly good. Like, you know, yeah. it's the, the, the possibilities that are there. And it's sometimes it's difficult. And, you know, I'd probably be guilty of it myself at times. And I know I'd hear it a lot of kind of negativity towards the, you know, being able to make a living from it and, you know, that it, but look, it's always been difficult and the music industry is notoriously unfair and it always has been and mm. it probably always will be. But, you know, the venues that we get to play in, they all, like, I can't get over the amount of people who are going to gigs. Like, mm. has it ever been as good that it's, we're doing this tour now and we're selling out gigs all over the place. Like, we're selling out Cork Opera House and, Two nights in Dublin, two nights in Glasgow. And that's not just us. There are other people I know who are in bands who are friends of mine. Their gigs are selling out as well. Festivals are selling out. People mm. are going to gigs. And maybe 
the opportunity isn't there to make a living out of selling your music like it used to be, selling mm-hmm. albums. But the, the, the opportunities to perform, to make music and to get people to hear your music, it has never been as good. Like yeah. Spotify gets a, a fair bit of hammering in relation to, you know, how they how they pay artists. But as a platform that, you know, you you probably know what you've been working in radio. If if I if I released an EP or a single, you know, I'd have to post that out to every radio station. I'd have to go and visit them. Now I can put it on Spotify. And essentially it's available for anybody in the world to listen to. Now, I have to let them know it's there and that's the difficulty. But it's available for them to listen to, and instantly it's, it's available for it's them actually to the one. To. It's the one platform I was saying it to Fiona earlier. It's the one platform I actually pay for. Pay yeah. for. Do you know, I do I, too. Yeah. You know, I, I, you know, it's it, it's, it's it's nothing really. Do you know what yeah. I mean? And it comes out every month. But what I like about Spotify is you can literally bar Taylor Swift. You can literally get anything that you want. Mm. Anything you think of an artist, put it into Spotify. Biddle up comes playlists and album track listings and everything. And I just think, and the fact that they do pay. The artist, because as I was saying to Fiona earlier, like that there's a guy I like over in the states. His name is Rivers, and he's doing okay over there. Nothing, but he's really, really good. But the fact that if I download his album and I'm playing it on Spotify in my bedroom in Cork, I like to think that that guy in California is getting paid because you know Little Pierce in Ireland is listening to your track, and like that. I know Spotify have come in for a lot of criticism, but I've always not, I've also known they pay the artists. Yeah. They may not pay them enough money for them to get the Rolls Royces, but everybody gets paid. Mm. You know? Yeah, it's pros and cons. I don't think any of them are ever going to be perfect. Like I mean the record companies, you know, <sighs> the, the, when you look at how the the profits still are divided, you know, there's not a lot of bands, especially young bands who are getting signed for the first time, whoever make money and whoever clear their advance from the record company. So that's not perfect. Spotify isn't perfect, but I'd like to think that maybe a combination of Spotify and going out to see a band, mm. maybe buying their T-shirt, you know, supporting them through Bandcamp or through their own site, yeah. as well as listening to them on Spotify. Yeah. And I think that's I, I get the impression that's what ha- what's happening because you know if you if you look after people and you build a sense of community, and I see that in really successful bands, it's that sense of community where people. You know, they feel like they belong to something. Mm. They'll buy the T-shirt, or they'll some some. What I see a lot is people at gigs buying vinyl, who don't even have record players. You know, <laughs> and they're yeah. buying the vinyl as a kind of a you know a documentation of you know this is this band at this time, and I really like them, and yeah. I'm going to buy this to have this physical thing mm. and to support them as well. So yeah. a combination of all that stuff with Spotify, that's you know that's great for bands. Because I always remember as a kid, if you had a number one record in the charts, that was the pinnacle. And now, I suppose with digital music and with, I suppose, all the different platforms, being number one anymore, it, it's not the thing that it used to Doesn't be. Doesn't seem to be, yeah. Whereas where the money is made, because I remember U2 coming out and one of their albums, it only sold something worldwide like 1.6 million units. But then when they went on the world tour and earned over 300 million. Yeah. yeah. You know, I know that's on a bigger scale. Yeah. But it's really where the money is at, I think. Is Life is, yeah. Live yeah. But unfortunately, because of that, you know, some record companies know that and what they're doing now is that they're signing bands to deals where not only do they get a percentage of their record sales, but they get a percentage of their live revenue as well. Yeah. You know, these 360 deals, that yeah. there's a lot of that going on. And you have companies like uh, Live Nation um, who are becoming not just a promoter, but they're becoming the manager and they're becoming the label. Because they're involved now with U2 and Madonna yeah, and exactly. all these. Yeah, they've yeah. got they've got the biggies. Yep. But a funny story, actually, I used to manage a band because they used to be involved in music as well, the Audible Joes, they're called. They're a punk band. And 
I remember we, we got them into independence and they were the first punk band ever to play independence. And we were all very proud and the lads went up and they, they gave them the gig at 10 o'clock on the Friday night in the beer hall. And how it worked in their favour is for 30 minutes of their 40-minute performance, there was no acts playing on any of the big tents. So people, the beer hall at the time was the only uh, tent tented, but it wasn't a tent, it was a hall, but it was the only place that had the bar. So everybody started to come in just as the lads went on. Now, they were really, they were proper punk rock, but really good punk rock and roll. And I always remember standing at the sound desk because that was the closest I could get to the stage and there was a mosh pit of about 300 people going absolutely bananas. Proud moment. It was like a proud papa. But then the lads, I I met with them at the weekend and they played Rebellion in England, which was for them one of the pinnacles because it's a big punk rock thing. So the lads went and they thought they were going to be on this newcomer's stage and they weren't. They were actually on one of the main kind of stages there. But they had, it was very funny, they had all these T-shirts and their CDs over that they were going to sell after the gig. So anyway, they played their gig. Place was packed. That was grand. So one of them, the singer decides, I better go over to the merch table, lads, because, you know, we might sell a few CDs. So as he's strolling over, and the rest of the band had gone to watch others, as he's strolling over, there's this random stranger holding up their T-shirts going, anybody want any Audible Joe's T-shirts? And the singer's like going, Jesus Christ, what's going on here? So he went over and he was like, what are you doing, man? He goes, well, I came over to buy a T-shirt and there was no one here. He said, so I put the money in the box and then there's a queue of people. He said, so I started selling... Uh, he said, I just started taking the money for this stuff and, and Mick's looking at him going, well, how much stuff have you sold? He goes, well, this T-shirt's all that I've left. So what the lads made in the merch, yeah. it covered the costs of them getting over. That's brilliant. Yeah, so, yeah. And fair, it's not nice that somebody sold that for him and didn't rob the but there's that yeah. sense of, But there's that sense of community yeah, yeah. within music. Yeah. Do you know? Yeah. So tell me, the one, the one thing I'm very, very interested in, this, this three festivals a, a, a week for a year, which turned into three years, right? Yeah. What was number one? What was the most memorable festival that you went oh, to? Oh God, <laughs> that would. Stand I'd say out. some of the best parts of that I can't remember. That'd <laughs> um, be a good thing. There, I think one of the ones that really had an impact was listening to a matchmaking festival, <laughs> and I hadn't really appreciated what it was at the time, and I loved it. I, I loved it until I talked to somebody about it who'd been at it as well, and she said to me like, "Yeah, listening Varna, She said it's everything that's wonderful. And everything that's awful about Ireland in the same place at the same time. Yeah. And that's kind of what it is. You know, it's, you go to something like Electric Picnic, and I think it's probably a good example. And it's, it's very easy to appreciate that the reason that Electric Picnic exists is to make money. That's why it exists. Whereas when you're at something like Liston Varna, yes, that is part of it. But it exists for this other reason as well. And it has done for quite a long time. So there's a traditional aspect to it, but... And was there many matchmakings going on? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Formal and informal, I think. Yeah, yeah. And country and Irish bands and dancing and drunkenness. And I saw a man, an old fella getting arrested in his 70s. And whatever way the guard put his hands behind his back, his trousers fell down around his ankles. <laughs> he had no underpants on him. And it was, it's mayhem, you know, and it has that kind of Father Ted yeah. kind of Lovely thing girls running through contest, it as well. Yeah. And it's, it's an amazing thing. It's an amazing thing to experience. And then, you know, stuff like the Storytelling Festival out in Cape Clear, that is an absolutely amazing thing. You know, the, the, the notion of sitting down in a pub, they have events in houses, and sitting down and just listening to somebody from lots of different parts of the world telling stories. I loved that. But that isn't that brilliant. very much part of 
like I suppose we say it's part of the Irish culture, but isn't it part of just people in yeah. general? It's yeah. how it's how history is being remembered by stories. Stories, and I, I mean, most people like listening to stories for as kids. You know, that's one of the things that fires. But one of the things, and I don't. It's hard to pick out one festival in particular, but sure. I think that whole experience, the thing that it did was it very much tethered me to the country, to Ireland. And I got a sense of what it means to be Irish mm. in the most wonderful way, because every weekend I was going to places where people were coming together to try and make the place where they lived a better place to be. And more often than not, they were doing that as volunteers and they weren't doing it to make money themselves. They weren't doing it for glory or power. They were doing it to make the place they live a better place to be for them and their community. Yeah. And being able to immerse yourself in that, it got addictive. Like, you yeah. know, because it was I met some wonderful people and had some really fantastic experiences and made friends during that time that I still have, you know, that uh, that I'm lucky to to still have. It was it was it was some experience and I as well as like tethering myself to the country. I thought I knew Ireland because I'd been playing in bands for years, was traveling around the country. But even what it kind of highlighted to me was is a thing that I kind of call fractal geography. And you know, you know those posters, you might have had one when you were a student. Uh, you're meant to take acid and look at them. And the more you look <laughs> at it, the deeper into it you go. There's always another bit. And it's based on that uh, Mandelbrot fractal geometry. Okay. And I kind of think Ireland is the same. You think you know a place, but the closer you look at it, the more of it you see and the more you realise there is to see. And that's kind of what I realised about Ireland. Like I thought, you know, I thought I knew certain counties, but I didn't because there's tiny villages. There's boreens with people living in them, farmhouses. And I don't think if you lived five lifetimes, you'd ever know Ireland in yeah. its entirety. Mm. You know, Acid consumption optional, obviously. I, I, well, <laughs> if, if the acid consumption is involved, you'll definitely never know the country because it will constantly be in a state of flux. But um, <laughs> it, it highlighted that, that, you know, you think you know a place, but you don't because the closer you look at a place, the more there is of it to see. Yeah. And it highlighted that and it really kind of deepened my love, appreciation and connection. What and I suppose the fun Irish. thing too is you, you got to write about all of that experience. Yeah, it was brilliant. And, and yeah. documented in a yeah. sense. And not even pleasant stuff, like going up to Enniskillen for the 12th for the Orange Day parades. Like, you know, that, what it means to be Irish in that context as well, because often, you know, I wanted to push myself to do stuff that I didn't like and that I thought I wouldn't like and that maybe I wouldn't have experienced otherwise. So mm -hmm. I went up there and kind of, went to the parades and interviewed the orange men and talked to that and that Were you was nervous. Yeah. Oh yeah. And some of them wouldn't talk to me. You know, it's I was, intimidating, isn't it? That's what it's meant to be. And yeah. it is intimidating. Yeah, you know, the the marching, the ba but I, I'm really glad I went and stood there and, you know, because not a lot of people I know have been at it. You know, mm -hmm. I we knew what we know of it. We know what happens, but I've never I was never there. And at it. Because you I mean, can I suppose sense the atmosphere. Yeah, you can, and, and, must be an and then when you're talking to people it's because they I was working for RTE at that. I was preparing, uh, and for the Irish Times, but I was preparing uh, little pieces of audio for the John Murray show. I was interviewing people, and I was going up to Orange Men, and people are at it said, uh, I'm working for RTE, could I? and nah, they just wouldn't even talk to you. you know, they just turn around and walk away. Wow. Um, so, interest. And then I picked uh, one of the biggest, uh, most scary-looking fellas. He was about six foot four, skinhead, bomber jacket, patches, had a... a, a, a a very uh, kind of dangerous looking dog on a lead with a studded collar and uh, covered in tattoos, tattoos on his neck. And uh, I went up to him and I said, can I interview for RTE? And he went, yeah, 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 you can, far away. And it turned out he was the nicest fella, one yeah. of the nicest fellas. He was Protestant. 
um, he thought that the Orange Marches were part of his culture, but his wife is Catholic. And he said his kids are mixed, he called them. And, uh, and I said, what do you do? And he said, I'll bring the kids out later on. He said, the wife might come to the bonfire. She doesn't like it, he said. But we raised the kids as Protestant and Catholic, whichever way they want to go. And that was really interesting. You know, yeah. pick the biggest, most dangerous looking fella. And, and he'll probably get it. Yeah, the nice, and, yeah. And probably the most positive thing that came out of that was I was talking to some of the young fellas who were in the bands. And I was asking them, you know, what does the 12th mean to you? And some of them said to me, ah, sure, it's just a day off school. And to hear that, that was kind of heartening that maybe, maybe there's There's light at the end of that tunnel. Now, I don't think there's change yet, but maybe there will be, you know. But interesting, and, you know, an insight into Ireland, like, you have opinions on Northern Ireland, and we probably all do. But what what I realised then is I shouldn't, because I've never lived, imagine living in that town, you Mm. know, for all your life and that's happening. I can't even begin to understand what that would be like. Yeah. You know? Can't even begin to, you know. Yeah, I'd be very kind of strong that way myself in the sense that when I hear people criticise it, and my, my whole thing is, listen, although we're all living on the one island, we're living in a very different part of it down here. Yeah. Imagine living in that. In that struggle and that, every as you say, every day. day. Yeah, yeah. You know? Or, you know, and being, you know, wanting... Ireland to be one island and then living through that period of the marriage that must be a very difficult thing and and what it brought home to I'm from Tremor in County Waterford you know and as a kid as a kid you know the the holiday makers from the north of Ireland used to come down in July and they'd be down there for two weeks and you know I knew as a kid I really there's something going on that they're getting away from but then to see ah right this is why they were coming down to Tremor funny you should say that actually I interviewed a couple of months back and interviewed Brendan the singer from the four of us and I had just gone to see them play in live at St. Luke's and they have an album out at the minute. And an awful lot of it's about, you know, growing up in the north as kids Mm. and how they used to go to Butlins all the time. But that the traffic down on July the 11th. Yeah, mental. All the Catholics would get out and they'd travel down to the Republic for their holidays for the marching season. Yeah. You know? And maybe, you know, and maybe to you know to punctuate this and put a full stop, it's a wonder to see how Derry girls kind of handle that, you know, that, 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 period around the marching and make it into comedy yeah. you know but aren't is, we very good at doing that the Irish though? maybe we are but maybe that's me living like you can't get much more south than Tremor or you're starting to get wet you know so maybe it's me <laughs> maybe it's me with kind of rose tinted glasses looking at that maybe there's some people living up there but who you know what? Say, yeah you shouldn't if, be so flippant about it I know but you know what I suppose it, it makes the situation alright in our heads or it maybe helps us understand the situation yeah maybe a bit yeah you know because yeah. we, we're, we're slightly removed from it yeah but anyway festivals yeah. <laughs> Irish Conquer Champion how did that happen uh, I was, what did it entail uh, there was a Conquer Championship and it's around the Conquer Festival that was in Freshford I don't think it's actually happening anymore unfortunately um, it happened for a good few years and they used to hold an event at that and it was the All-Ireland Conquer Championship. So what would happen is you sign up, you pay in your money, and you register, and it's like it's like the All-Ireland. You know, there's a there's a, a knockout stage. They have a sack, and you they have a leather strap tied to a Conquer, and you choose, you don't get to see your Conquer. You don't get to bring your own, so you put your hand into the Metal sack. Metal Conquer. And you pull one, yeah, exactly. Or <laughs> wasn't the thing when we were growing up, because we used to do it when we were growing up, you put them in the oven. I don't think that ever worked. The other one I heard was you varnished them. Yeah, I remember hearing yeah, that one. The yeah, varnishing. There was, yeah. yeah, and we yeah, used to yeah. do it as kids, you know. And yeah. So we'd have conquer seasons in school. Yeah. And we'd have an alley season and I still, with the marbles. I, where I work in WIT in Waterford, it's on College Street down the manor in Waterford, and there's lo- lots of horse chestnut trees there. And I still see kids going in collecting yeah. them. You know, some people say, ah, oh, they don't, they do, they still do it, you yeah. know. Uh, but anyway, this thing, so they have a championship and I think purely by, well, not, not I think, purely by fluke. It wasn't like I didn't have some strategy. And I, yeah, and I just, I ended up 
winning the All Ireland Con- Concord Championship. What did you win for it? Um, I think it was five hundred quid. It was all right, and a medal. And the sweetest part of that, I think, was it was on a Sunday afternoon, and I had an All Ireland medal. So here was a Waterford man driving from Kilkenny across the bridge from Kilkenny into Waterford with an All Ireland medal. Wow, that doesn't often happen. <laughs> that's and I'm won. a huge Ireland supporter. <laughs> and that's your yeah. one. So I did kind of rub it in a bit that I had you know an All Ireland champion leaving Kilkenny with the championship <laughs> and taking it back to Waterford. I was happy about that. I have to say. Yeah. And another thing, you'll have your that. day yet. You'll have uh, your day. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah but we you're a multiple All Ireland uh, champion because you're also the All Ireland bucket singing champion. Whatever that yeah. is, I'm curious to hear. About okay. That. Right, we get into bucket singing then. Uh, this was a festival, it's Phelan and Asia, which is closer to home in Dungarvan, not far down the road from here. And at Phelan and Asia, they tried to revive this tradition uh, where they, where it happened, and it happened a long time ago, that uh, like the galvanised metal bucket was an integral part of everyday life. That, um, and I'll try and be as mild mannered about this as I can. You'd get up in the morning and whatever business you did in the middle of the night was done into the bucket <laughs> that was under the bed, right? Yeah. So the first thing you did was you emptied out the bucket. And <laughs> then you cleaned the bucket and you probably put some straw in it. And if you collected eggs for breakfast, you put them into the bucket. Then you had your breakfast. Then you milked the cows, you used the bucket. Then you probably went to feed the animals, you used the bucket. And then you were getting water because there wasn't running water and you were using the bucket. And the bucket was in people's hand from morning till night. So what happened at some... because. They had the thing called, and it was, you know, there wasn't pubs and music at that stage. It would have been more the rambling house where people called from house to house to sing and to, to, to you know, to, to, to socialise. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So the story goes that some, at some stage, somebody realised that when they were singing Shanos, if they put the metal bucket on their head, that there was a resonance in the bucket and the bucket <laughs> would add a certain characteristic to the singing. And this was the genesis of bucket singing. Okay. So it became a branch of traditional singing. And who were there was a family in Kilgobnet in County Waterford who were particularly good at this branch of singing called the Kellys. And the Kellys were known for this branch of singing, bucket singing. And this was a long, long time ago. And some of the Kelly family emigrated and ended up in Australia. And the son of that immigrant was a guy by the name of Ned Kelly who was an outlaw in Australia. I don't know yeah, if you're familiar heard of with him. I've heard, yeah, I've heard of him. Ned yeah. Kelly, the outlaw. Yeah. And if you ever look at a famous picture of Ned Kelly, the outlaw, when the soldiers came to take him and to ambush him, what has he got on his head? A bucket. A bucket. Wow. And a suit of armour, but a bucket on his head. So they reckon that Ned Kelly, you know, got that inspiration from the bucket singing of the mm. Kellys of Kilgobnet. He went down singing. Yeah. Well, went down with guns and, and taking out some <laughs> British soldiers. Uh, but so they to keep that tradition alive in Dungarvan at County Waterford, they had this bucket singing competition where on the Sunday or actually I think it was the Monday, the bank holiday Monday of the festival at Phelan in Asia, they would um they'd have the bucket singing championship where different singers would put the bucket on their head and they'd sing Whatever song. What did you sing? Well, what did I sing? Jesus, that's a good question. But like, as in the bucket is literally over on your head. Your over your head. Yeah, yeah. There was one fellow was flicking the handle with his shoulder, keeping time, which I thought was, <laughs> I thought was quite, quite that's a genius. Yeah, it was quite a good technique. And they had little little brass plaques around the bucket for previous winners, like on the bucket. So there's an actual put over your head. There's a one singular. There was one bucket. bucket. What did I sing? I can't remember what I sang. Some I, like I was raised in a pub. In Tremorne County Water, so it was a traditional song. So, my other half, Ellie, she's from Cork, and she can't get over, especially when I get drunk, 
She goes, how do you know so many songs? And I know songs that I can't even remember that I know because I was just reared in a pub. And they at just the time, come to you. Yeah, I didn't appreciate it, but there was so much yeah. music and singing in the pub that, you know, that was, oh, I think I remember what it was now. I think it was, there's a song about winning the lottery that a fella called Seamus Moore wrote. Do you remember any of it? Uh, no, it's not happening. No. I go on. I go on. Do you have a bucket? Do you have a bucket? Yeah, have a bin. No, I'm not putting a bin on me. Either. No, no, there's a, I, can ta- I can take the plastic off it. Uh, and you could actually have the metal part. John the Miller uh, used to sing it in the pub. A fella called John Power, John the Miller. Because every power in Waterford has a nickname because there's so many powers. Okay. So John Power is John the Miller Power. And uh, there was flower power. Lots of different powers, but this is John the Miller Power. John the Miller used to sing in the pub and I think that's how I learned it and I think that's what I sang and the one thing actually that, that you've done well in, and I've heard of it as well is the uh, bog snorkelling yeah you're six you're ranked six sixth I didn't win the bog snorkelling but I beat Leo Varadkar <laughs> and I was happy about that was he, he wasn't, actually doing it he wasn't the Taoiseach at the time but he was doing it yeah he got into the, he got into the bog well, what's and he that did like it. I mean it must be quite restrictive is it it's good fun it's a lot of those festivals are just excuses to go on the piss let's yeah. be honest about it right so they go out and they do something and then they just go out on the tear. And the bog snorkeling is a particularly fun one because you do togs, flippers, snorkeling mask and you swim up and down this bog that they cut in the channel as fast as you can. Wow. Sixth, yeah. I was all right with that, you know. I'm yeah, happy with that. Can we go to the bigger festivals? Electric picnic. Yeah. Electric picnic during the summer was phenomenal for yeah, me. Twice, you played yeah. two nights and I think the second night it was just mobbed. What was that like? That's brilliant because same as Glastonbury. I was at the first electric picnic. Not playing. Yeah. But I was at it, you know, and I was there as a punter. And, and there wouldn't have been a whole lot of people at that point. No, I suppose one day, um, Jurassic 5, I think, were playing. Yeah, I've heard of them. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, what I remember was there was also, you know, Apre match. Mm. The, Ireland must have been in some championship because Apre match were live. At, they had a match on the big screen and they were doing Apre match live at it. Um, so, yeah, the first electric picnic. So we were at it and we go to it, you know, so... Um, and for years we've been kind of hanging around the edges of it like we would have played the salty dog stage but the first and I think part of being able to like no definitely like it got gigs at the festivals because I was going to festivals I was writing about them so I knew the people who were booking the bands yeah. and I, I had an in there and the first in that we had at Electric Picnic was the Body and Soul stage at Electric Picnic and they kind of gave us our first real leg up in terms of you know getting festival gigs and we we didn't realise that we were particularly suited to playing festivals until we did that Body and Soul gig that was seven years ago and we had done the gig in the forum before that that was kind of the same year as that mm. but before you know in the winter and this was into the summer and like there was like thousands of people turned up with that and we were kind of going whoa hang on a minute there's something happening here. and it was that Body and Soul stage so they've always looked after us and this year we played like a really good slot on the Saturday night on the main stage at the Body and Soul Festival and they got in touch we weren't going to play Electric Picnic this year we had decided last year we've done it six years in a row now is it the time we just kind of give it a break because people will be getting a bit fed up of, of us being at it but Body and Soul got in touch and said look will you play the Body and Soul stage it's kind of a, a special year for us this year will you come and do the Body and Soul stage at Electric Picnic and we said ah yeah sure you know it's very hard to say no when you get invited to do that True so right. Played the Electric Arena uh, that day and it was 10,000 people at that. And that was brilliant. You know, those gigs are always brilliant and they're getting bigger, progressively bigger gigs at, at Electric Picnic. But the Body and Soul stage is a smaller stage, but so many people came, they had to put up barriers and they had to shut down the area. And it was uh, it was the 
definitely the best gig of 2019 for us. It was the atmosphere and the crowd. It was absolutely amazing. We well, loved it. Absolutely loved it. Bruce Springsteen once said that anytime he plays a gig, he always sees himself in the crowd. Yeah. And the day that he doesn't see himself in the crowd enjoying the gig is the day that he'll decide to stop. Yeah. Now, you went to the first electric picnic as a punter and as a fan, and as you said, you've played it now for five or six years. Is there that kind of thinking in w- with you as well? When you're playing to thousands of people, do you see yourself in that crowd yeah. having a crack? Yeah, and I'd never heard that quote before, but that's really good. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take that. Far ahead. Um, because if we're not doing something that we don't believe in, we shouldn't be doing it. Yeah. And sometimes, like, I'll, and I'll give you an example. Sometimes we fall down in that that we have a burden of responsibility and maybe not burden isn't the right word. We just have a responsibility to the people who come to our gigs Mm. to treat them in the same way we'd like to be treated if we were going to a gig Mm. and maybe, you know, entertain them as much as we'd like to be entertained if we're at a gig. Mm. And if we don't do that and if, you know, if I don't believe in what I'm saying over the microphone, Mm. then I definitely shouldn't be doing it. And where we've fallen down on that before, I think last year we sold out the Olympia in Dublin and I think we got a little bit blinded by... You know, the Olympia is an iconic venue. Mm. And we were saying, I've been oh, to man. so many gigs there yeah, myself. Midnight exactly. at the Olympia. Yeah, and oh. it's like, you know, it's like a rite of passage for yeah. a band. You know, you play the Olympia and we sold out the Olympia. And I think we got so caught up in that. We didn't realise we were asking, first of all, a large group of people to pay the same price for tickets up on that second balcony who couldn't dance because it's so steep. Mm. And it was only when people started saying, oh, I'd love to go to the gig. But we started, oh, shit, maybe, maybe that's not the right venue to be asking people who like our band to go to mm. because they're not going to be able to dance up on that raked balcony, mm. the, the second balcony up. Yeah. And then before we went on stage, I got a message through that the bouncers were confident. Like we, we put up masks and monk- and loads of people print off the masks we put up, <laughs> the monkey masks. And I had met a guy out in Dame Street and he had made a papier-mâché gorilla head for the gig. But I got a message that the bouncers were confiscating masks and stuff off people oh, coming no. in. And then I got a message saying that the bouncers... It was, you were allowed to bring in under 16s as long as they were with an adult. And somebody who I knew said the kids just got their sweets and water confiscated coming in because there was a shop in there as well. And you're kind of going, we probably fell down a bit in our responsibility towards, you know, if you're going to what Bruce Springsteen said, Mm -hmm. if I was in the audience that night, I don't think I'd be in the audience the next night. Okay. You know? And that we fell down on that that responsibility. So, but the thing is that you've noted, I suppose, as a band, you acknowledge that. Yeah, I don't think we we no? I don't think we acknowledge it to the people who are at the gig. No, no but I mean, to we're, yourselves we're aware afterwards. of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah you yeah. know, we didn't apologise to people, or we didn't offer them money back, or right. you know, but and we're going back to the Olympia. It looks like, but we're going back to the Olympia, having had a good chat with the management of the Olympia to okay. make sure. First of all, that the tickets up on that balcony won't be the same price as the tickets down on the yeah. the main floor where it's not seating. Okay. And if people are wearing masks, they're allowed to bring them so in. You just, so ultimately, the you have seen yourselves on the crowd so But maybe that. a bit, yeah, yeah. but I, I'm not sure how we're going to resolve the sweets and water <laughs> issue. <laughs> and one thing I want to ask you, actually, before, because you know, we're, we're kind of running out of time now. But the one thing I'm very curious, Brexit is something that everybody's talking about, right? Yeah. And some of the effects that that can have you know, especially the movement between Ireland and England. Do you think festivals in Ireland will be affected by Brexit? Because I know there's an awful lot of acts come from England. Mm. You know, there could be an awful lot of crew coming from England. And it may not actually be financially worth their while, yeah. too. So is it going to have an effect, yeah, in your opinion, is, on yeah. the festival scene yeah, in Ireland? Yeah, I think so, yeah. yeah. Um, I think 
I know that. Or does that open it up then for more Irish acts to get in? Maybe. Yeah, maybe it does. Maybe I get given out for this. Maybe that's not such a good thing okay. either because... You diversity know, is good, eh? Diversity is great. You know, the fact... And I'll, I'll, be, I'll be critical of King Kong Company. If I was a punter, I can see King Kong Company anytime. You know, I can see King Kong Company definitely at some festival, if not four festivals over the summer. Or I can see them when they tour around in the winter. There's ample opportunity for people to see our band. Yeah. Whereas what I like is going to a festival and seeing a band that I won't get the chance to see again. Mm. And that's the, they're the kind of festivals I tend to go to. I want to see something and possibly see something that I've never heard of before. Okay. As well as maybe go to see somebody I really want to see. More often than not, I'm leaving a festival going, did you hear that band? They're absolutely... And sometimes that's an Irish band, you know? Mm-hmm. But so I like the opportunity to see bands I've never seen before. But in answer to your question about Brexit, already I think it was um, Imogen Heap cancelled gigs in Dublin. She said it was because of uncertainty around Brexit. Um, it's already very expensive for international acts to get to Ireland and to play Ireland because in the UK... You know, if a band is coming from mainland Europe or coming from America, there are lots of opportunities for them to play in the UK. Lots of venues, lots of cities. Whereas when they come to Ireland, Dublin, that's Cork. limited. Dublin, Cork, and most know, Belfast. More, more, more times than not, it's just Dublin and Belfast. Yeah, it could be, and sometimes it's just Belfast. Yeah, no, no, Ramstein or just the own Belfast. Um, so it's expensive to come to Ireland because the return they don't make as much money. There aren't as many gigs together. That's a, that's how it is already. Mm. If those costs increase as a result of Brexit or if it gets more difficult to travel between the two, that that would, but who knows how that's yeah. going. I have no idea how it's going to turn yeah. out. No, For me saying, personally. I was, I, was, I was curious as yeah, to your opinion. I, I don't, I, you know, I kind of look at it a bit like the Y2K bug. You know, do you remember that yes. thing in the year 2000? All mm. the computers were going to stop. Nothing the planes were going to fall out of the sky. <laughs> now, I'm not saying that nothing will happen, but what is it? We don't, I don't think we know the full implications of what will happen. Maybe it will be advantageous to Irish bands Maybe it'll be easier for us to get gigs on mainland Europe. Maybe that might work. I don't know. I, I don't have a clue. But the one thing, and this isn't musical personally, the one advantage I see of Brexit is that for the first time in my lifetime, the possibility of a 32-county Ireland state isn't something that just Sinn Féin are talking about. Everybody. But now people are talking about that as an option, that Ireland would be one country. Mm. You know, that they're conducting polls about asking people about this, and it's... It's a conversation that people are having outside of, you know, are you a nationalist? Are you a republic? It's, it's yeah. just a conversation. Mm. And that's, I think that's a hugely positive thing mm. that there might be a lot of negative economic aspects to it. Um, and there would be negative social aspects maybe to that. But as a conversation, that's a very interesting conversation to, yeah. to hear started, Most, you know. Yeah. Now, we invited for oh, any oh. listeners of the podcast to send in questions. And I think Fiona has a question. Did Two seconds now. There was a few of them, but... Uh, we'll go with one. Colin from Twitter has asked, would you have any interest in collaborating with any other Irish bands at the moment? Yeah, loads of them. Yeah, there's uh, there's bands I want to be in and there's bands. I was just I was just listening to uh, we're doing a thing on the tour at the moment where every town or county that we're going to, I'm trying to sing a song or squeeze in a little bit of a song from that place into the set. So. In the Opera House, when we did the gig there, we put in After All by the Frank and Walters, which was kind of cheating a bit, but it is kind of a Cork anthem. Totally. Huge. In Dublin, Absolutely. stuck in a bit of Raglan Road. We played in Wexford and put in Bool of Vogue. 
Um, so it was kind of rebel songs that were put in, kind of ballady songs. And what what was the other gig that we did? You did one oh, in Limerick. Limerick yeah. uh, Sean South from Gary Owen, which yeah. is yeah, kind of makes sense. And I was listening to songs about Cork and off Cork and Ger Wolf. I don't know if you know the yeah. singer songwriter Ger mm-hmm. Wolf. His song The Cora Road. I was listening to that. I was going, I'd I'd love to have written that. It's just a beautiful <laughs> song. But um, one uh, there was one art. We were thinking we were talking about it there. Sinead O'Connor would be fantastic. Imagine getting Sinead O'Connor to well, sing on yeah. one of your tracks. That would be. And then there's the band Thumper. Oh, I just want to be in their band. Or we had the Scratch playing here. They're so much fun. Loads of them. Absolutely loads of them. Irish bands. Yeah, loads of them. Irish bands, singers, musicians. Yeah. Specifically, um, and it's because he's another ginger bearded legend. Yeah. Uh, Le Galaxy. Yeah, that would that would be a good fit. Yeah. I would love us, Le Galaxy, and Le Boom, and you know we might throw the the, the planet off axis a little bit. That'd be okay. Certainly register on the Richter right. scale. Yeah. Yeah. that would be brilliant. But no, when you're collaborating with something, you'd like to do something new, maybe you know, to bring it somewhere a bit mad, you know, and yeah, Sinead O'Connor. That would be so top good. of the list. That would be really cool, wouldn't it? So well, Sinead, we put it out there now. Yeah, Sinead, Sinead O'Connor, we want yeah. you. Get, a, get in, get in touch, girl. Yeah. <laughs> now we have to, usually just to finish off our podcast, and before we go into it, I just want to briefly touch on you also do podcasts. Yeah. And you do a, a big one all about Irish, the Irish music yeah. industry. How's Unimaginatively that? called the Irish, the Irish music, music industry podcast. And how's that going for you? It's going really well. Yeah, yeah it's fantastic. It's a great um, podcast, actually. Yeah, and you better than I thought. You have a great voice, Mark, in fairness. You're uh, a wordsmith. Yeah, I don't know. I'm a chancer. I can't away, <laughs> get away with murder in a few different areas for a long time. Uh, it's going really good. It's a, it's, it's kind of, um, it's part of my job now, I think, because what I do is I teach music students mm. and I was having experiences myself in the music industry and from talking to other people in bands and talking to managers and agents and accountants. And, you know, I, I was of the opinion that I wasn't giving music students a full and frank picture of what they could expect if they chose a career in the music industry. And that's in radio as well, because I'm interviewing, you know, people who work in radio, all all aspects of the industry. So what the podcast sets out to do is say, this is what's happening in the music industry in Ireland today. And I thought that it would be kind of a niche audience where it would be people who are, you know, either working in radio or working in bands or booking bands that would be interested. But it turns out that people like to know the provenance of their music as well. You know, so some people like to know what's happening in and around the stuff that they listen to so yeah, yeah it's going really awesome. well I'm really enjoying it and I'm learning stuff I should have done it 20 years ago because I'm learning stuff now and I'm going alright I do not have a clue about how that stuff works do you know what you probably have a more mature head on you now you would, it, would, it would have probably gone over your head 20 probably, years ago yeah probably yeah you could be right yeah and I could have been just yeah, running around like a, a headless chicken, a headless chicken on your head. head from one gig to the next gig, just having a buzz, you know. How we usually finish the show too is we have a little section. It's called FML, okay? Yeah. And what it's called, what is now we know what FML really means. Yes. But for us, it's Fiona's mom's life because okay. Fiona's the mother of two young kids, so she always has, and it always kind of, I think, uh, works well with whoever we have in each week. So, what's your FML this week, young lady? Well, thank you for that, Pierce. I love when people call me young lady. Uh, my my FML and my sweet velvet life, basically, King Kong Company, Mark. Seriously, like, you keep me going. I have your CD in my car and whenever I'm driving anywhere and my child kicks off, the 18-month-old in particular, I put on iPop and it's a real poppy piece. I'll put it in here as well. Yep. And she literally stops what she's doing and starts bopping her head. Yeah, it's it's probably an unexpected thing that we've come to realise in the last couple of years. We played 
at a festival for kids, that Kaleidoscope Festival, which is a family festival. And we have a dancer with us called Boxhead who dresses up in costumes. Kids love Boxhead. And she has this robot character that she does now as well. Kids love that. And we have toned down the set to play for kids. But for the last three years, myself and Boxhead at Body and Soul have played the kids area in the afternoon. I do a DJ set and box, Boxhead dances and it's a yeah. King Kong thing. And the kids absolutely love it. And it's really good fun. And Boxhead has kind of been around for a while and she's a bit cynical. And <laughs> the first year that we did our Body and Soul, I said, this will be really good fun. And she said, ah, come on, I'm dying of a hangover. I don't want to do it. And after we did it, a little girl came up and gave her a drawing that she'd done the night before of her holding hands with Boxhead. And she broke down crying. You know, Boxhead was Boxhead was converted, you know. So there is an audience there for us with kids. Yeah, there, there is, is that we didn't realise. That's really and it's such good fun. Like, yeah. It's really good fun. Yeah. There's the like your music has amazing layers to it. Like, you know, there there's there's a lot of I, I can hear an awful lot of influences from a lot of music that I've listened to over the years. Like I was saying to like left field, definitely yeah. a bit of groove armada and that sort of thing. But uh, like I can hear the love that you put into the layers of the sound uh, and it's just beautifully put together. And so like when I'm playing the music in the car, I know there's some songs obviously that I can't play. No, some wouldn't be suitable no. for children. <laughs> Fair enough. Donkey jaw, <laughs> yeah. that sort of thing. Yeah. Space hopper. But uh, I kind of skip over those. But there's a few of them. And, you know, my two girls in the back bopping their heads with me like it's yeah. that's. Brilliant. My FML. Thanks very FML. much for that. Um, and just on the Sweet Velvet Life as well, uh, we went to All Together Now mm. in Waterford. I think you probably loved that a lot because yeah. you're from Waterford. That's just Waterford people going around saying to each other, can you believe this is Port Law? That's all that's happening all weekend. <laughs> can you believe this is happening in Port Law? Yeah, it's great to see it happening. It was happening. a beautiful yeah. festival. Yeah, it's nice. but for I think us, I'm going next year with you. Oh yeah, you have to. You have to seriously like it was like Pierce was there in spirit with us. Um but uh it took us ages to get in, not as long as it took you to get into Glastonbury now, fourteen yeah. hours, my God. But uh it took us a long time to get in there. Everyone's spirits were kinda of dampened. Then it kinda of started raining and we were all a bit miserable and then we realised King Kong Company was on and we were like let's just go in and do it and we were kind of not sure about whether to go in or not whether you know some people were kind of saying like I'm just going to stay in the tent and sleep it out and start tomorrow but we went in for ye mm. and my god ye made our festival yeah seriously good, it was a great night good fun so thank you Yeah, and thank you for coming because it's nice <laughs> you know whatever but I think one of our favourite gigs was a Waterford it's nice playing at home you know it's nice because you get to see heads that you know and you know family and friends but we did it that gig and we did a gig at Spree Festival in Waterford on the stage there and those gigs are great like you know yeah. hometown gigs brilliant you know? because you're not King Kong Company you're the lads oh yeah you get called other names yeah, those yeah. Gigs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. so Mark listen I, I, it's been an absolute pleasure to have thanks you thanks very much for having me uh, in yeah. Fiona it. since we started this you have been the person that Fiona has banged on about love, <laughs> loving to get in. Yeah. I have achieved my sweet she velvet has, life now. Thank you, it, Mark. Yeah. And, and, and she had told me beforehand, she was like, you're really going to enjoy this. And you know what? I've actually superseded that. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. You're, you're certainly are a wordsmith. And, you know, if we had longer, 
I'm sure we could do this longer. Imagine what it'd be like if I wasn't gigging the night before. I know. <laughs> and you know what? Maybe again sometime in the future you'll come back in Same. and we can continue Thanks this. very much for having but, me. Pleasure. Mark Rain from King Kong Company. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you in. Thank you for Thank you very much, Pierce. Thanks for Sweet Thank Velvet you. Week on our Sweet Velvet Life. And if you'd like to get in touch with the podcast, you can do so. Sweetvelvetlife at gmail.com. Again, thanks to the guys from Republic of Loose for the tunes. Thank you to King Kong Company for that tune that we heard there. And as always, I'm going to leave with my thought of the week. Do you know, intentionally losing a game of rock, paper, scissors is just as hard as trying to win it. Have a sweet velvet week. <laughs>